Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's one thing to sing that we'd rather have Jesus than anything. And yet, and yet so often as we go about in this sinful world in our sinful minds we wonder how we could sing such a song and yet we do believe that in our very innermost soul we desire to have Jesus with all of the richness and the sweetness and the majesty and the glory and the dominion that is found in Him. Though from time to time we are blessed with some of that sweetness. And it causes us to anticipate that what we have at that time is only a smidgen of what we will have with Thee in glory. In one way, it seems like something far out in the future, way beyond our wildest imagination. And yet, because of our age, we like to think that at least we may experience it somewhat in part at death. Though we know that it is better to depart and to be with Christ, that's not the ultimate. The ultimate is in a glorified body. The whole person and being united in fellowship with you. We cry with John when he was on the Isle of Patmos Come quickly. Lord Jesus, come quickly. And yet we want to also to say with Paul to live is Christ. We do press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. And we ask that you would continue to uphold and sustain us by your great power and wisdom. Now bless us as we continue studying your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We left off in... Verse 5, somewhat, of Galatians chapter 5. And we pointed out that the person that trusts in the finished work of Christ is one who is always looking forward to the coming of the Lord. And we read somewhat of that from, excuse me, from Romans chapter 8. 
there's another passage that comes to mind along that line and that is in Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Here we see that when we are waiting for the coming of the Lord, it's not a waiting of inactivity. It's not like you're just sitting in an easy chair, halfway drowsy, somewhat sleepish, and just uh, marking time until the Lord returns. I've likened it, uh, this waiting and looking forward to His coming uh, as a child, uh, I grew up on a, a gravel road. We didn't know what it was to uh, drive on pavement on a blacktop road until we got almost to town. And then we got, most of the time we went, uh, when we went to town, we went to Fulton, Kentucky, of course, we lived in Tennessee, but when we got to what was called the state line, and that highway was the Tennessee-Kentucky line, and if you drove in the middle of the road, uh, if you was in a wagon, if person on one side of the wagon be in Tennessee and the other be in Kentucky, and of course, likewise with a car. But it was called the state line, and it was it was blacktop. And it was really smooth. But I grew up on, a, like I said, a gravel road. By the way, I, I never will forget, uh, as a boy, riding my bicycle around on the dirt lawn, the grass lawn, and the dirt fields and gravel roads. First time I rode a bicycle on pavement, I was amazed at how fast, <laughs> how smooth it was. But anyway, occasionally we would have company coming and some of our kin folks lived in St. Louis, Missouri and sometimes they would be coming and they were going to arrive on a certain day and we knew about what time they were coming and it would not be uncommon to be outside or near a window that was open, particularly in the summertime, and you listen. And you could hear the cars coming down the road. And you were there in anticipation, is this the company coming? You were excited to see the company. And so, uh, this is the way it is when we are looking forward to the coming of the Lord. Is as, it is as if we should be anxiously waiting, listening to the, 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 the tires on the vehicle, making the crushing sound against the rock of the soon appearing of our Lord. You're active in looking forward. You're active in looking to see the company coming. And uh, we lived on a hill and there was a valley between us and another hill from one direction of our house. And if the company was coming from the south, uh, it would not be uncommon to sit out on the porch to look at the 
uh, across the, the, the valley at the hillside to see the car coming down the hill on the other side. We could see uh, the anticipating the coming of the Lord. Well, this is the way it is here in, uh, in Galatians 5, 5. We, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of the righteousness of faith. We're waiting with great anticipation. It's not a waiting that is inactive. It is a waiting that is striving to live for the honor and the glory of the Lord. I would remind you of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, what is that good, and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're waiting. We're waiting. But we're waiting in anticipation. And we're waiting in such a way that we are actively uh, engaged in uh, pursuit of having our bodies uh, blameless at His coming. You know, First John talks about that. First John, chapter two, I think I've got uh, well, the verse that I'm looking at is not the one that I was thinking of. Uh, But I read verse 28. There's one verse here in, in John chapter 2. talks about being blameless at His coming. And I don't see that one right offhand. But in 1 John 2, 28. Uh, and now little children abide in Him that when He shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. And we want to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. And I know that uh, you ladies can understand this. Also, when you're having company coming, what do you do? You usually clean the house. And a lot of times when you're cleaning the house, when company is coming, you take a little bit more interest to make sure you do it a little bit better. And you may have meals cooked and you may uh, wash the sheets on the bed and things of that nature. In other words, you're getting everything ready that uh, you won't be ashamed that they're coming. I know sometimes, uh, you know, living alone, I'll uh, put off some things and say, well, I'll get around to that later and somebody will come by and uh, unexpected. And uh, uh, you got dishes in the sink, and uh, you, you know you may not have uh, cleaned the house lately, and a little bit extra dust on the furniture, and things of that nature. It is it's easy to be uh, ashamed when you're having company and things of that nature. Though I've kind of gotten used to it so much, I'm not as much ashamed as I used to be. But <laughs> and I guess that's uh, a detriment to me, but. You know what we're talking about. Well, beloved, we need to be anticipating the coming of the Lord. And not be ashamed at His coming. We wait for the hope, the expectation of the righteousness which is by faith, that is, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. 
In other words, if one is glorying in circumcision or one is glorying in uncircumcision, we cannot glory in anything other than that of the person in work and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing that gains us any merit with Christ Jesus. Yes, we are to live soberly. We are to live holily, righteously, and godly in this present world. And the, 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 the spirit of a child of grace is that he wants to live holy. He wants to live righteous. But he does not trust in anything that he does as if as it is gaining him anything with Christ. The only thing that gets us acceptance with God is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. As the old hymn is said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Beloved, as Isaiah puts it so well, all of our righteousness, even the good things that we do, are tainted with sin. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And true faith works love, which is the fulfilling of the law. True faith works love. And the child of grace, notice he said there, but faith which worketh by love. And we know that as Romans 13, 8 talks about, that love is the fulfilling of the law. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9 tells us, listen to this, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You see, there are some basic graces of the fruit of the Spirit that every born-again child of grace has and he doesn't need to be taught those things because God teaches him these things. Just as we see there in 1 Thessalonians 4.8 So likewise, faith Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and all the other graces. They may not be the same in each and every child of grace, but He has them. You remember in John 6.44, Jesus said, And they shall all be taught of God. Hebrews 8 talks about that God, that we have the new covenant. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least unto the greatest. There are some basic graces that are in a child of grace when God has opened his heart that will be seen. So, well, I know somebody that professes to be a Christian. I don't see any of those things in it. Well, Scripture says, by their fruit you shall know them. If you don't see the fruits in them, who said they were Christian? Just because they made a profession. Or just because they may be a good friend of yours. Or they might even be a relative of yours. Might be a spouse. Might be a son or daughter. Husband, I mean, a, a father or mother. Yes, as in 1 Thessalonians 4 9, Paul said, You don't need me to teach you to love one another. God has already taught you that. 
And so is faith which worketh by love. You say, well, I don't see much of that in this world today. No, and I don't see much Christianity in the world today either. We'll get to this more when we get to uh, uh, some of this a little bit later on. But you remember that John in his epistle said that we are uh, not that we're to love not in word only, but in deed. You know, anybody can say I love you. There are people that say I love you to other individuals all the time, but they really don't love them. What they mean by that is I have some um, emotional either attachment or attraction for you. But love says if you see someone in need, you don't shut up your bowels of compassion for them. You do something about it. You do something about it. I don't know what the man was thinking. But I believe it was one day last week. It might, might have been a week ago today for all I know. But I had come up to a certain stoplight and it was on green and it would not have been conducive for me to stop at, at that time. But the traffic coming from the other way was red. But there was a piece of wood in the middle of the road. Somewhere around four, maybe five, six inches in diameter and maybe about a, a foot long. Could do some damage to a vehicle. But there was a gentleman that drove up on the other side where he had to stop and he got out of his vehicle and walked across the middle of the road there and picked up that piece of wood and I assume I, I had gone on but then I assume he probably put it in his truck or something. But the point is that was a display of love for everybody else. Common courtesy but love is action. You know, the man could have said, boy, that, that piece of wood could hurt somebody. I sure hope it doesn't. And then just drive on. But he could do something. That's what we're talking about. Love is a verb first. Love is a verb first before it, it is a noun. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus loved me and gave Himself for me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love is a verb. It's, it's, it's action first. And God's children do not have to be taught to love. Now that doesn't mean that we all always do the right thing, but as a general lifestyle, a general trait of the lifestyle of a child of grace, he has this work of love in him. And this is, he says, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Faith is not inactive. You know, James said, if a man say he have faith and has not works, 
I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith worketh. Faith worketh by love. Paul said in verse 7, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Paul said, You started out doing right. The one that preached the gospel to you at first He didn't persuade you to go back under circumcision or the law. You remember what Paul said there in Galatians chapter 1? Let's refresh our minds again. Galatians 1, verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. See, they had had the truth preached to them. But now they were going back, they were going after another gospel. Which is not another. And I would remind you again that in the Greek there, these two another's another in verse 6 is not the same Greek word as another in verse 7. The word another in verse 6 is heteros. Means another of a different kind. Though our, our modern society has willfully denied the truth, there is such a thing as heterosex, men and women, and that's it. Different sex. That's what that means. Heterosex is different sex. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. They're not the same thing. And so the hetero of the heterosex comes from this Greek word, word heteros, for another in uh, verse 6. But in verse 7, the word another is alas, which means another of the same kind. So when we read that, Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto a gospel of a different kind, which is not a gospel of the same kind. That's what he's saying in those two another's. But there be some that trouble you which would pervert the gospel of Christ. Notice Paul didn't say, well, you know, they got, they got a lot of the truth. They believe in justification. They believe in the finished work of Christ. They believe in uh, the virgin birth. They believe in this, that, and the other. They just, added, they just added circumcision to it just a little bit. They just changed it a little bit. No, he said, you perverted. You perverted the gospel of Christ. You may have 97% wheat and 3% rat poison, but you've perverted the wheat. Verse 8, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. 
And as we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. So Paul says in the fifth chapter here, said you, you ran well, you started out, uh, you, you started out good. Who hindered you? Who is it that taught you not to obey the truth? Beloved, there's only one truth. There's not many ways to glory. Regardless of what Billy Graham said. They began on the right path. And therefore, they must not go back or turn aside to a different way. He said there, who did hinder you? Who did hinder you? This word, Greek word for hinder means to beat back. It's the only time it's used here in the New Testament. In other, in other words, think of an army that is going forward into battle. And they're rushing forward. And all of a sudden, they run upon the enemy and they are beaten back. Paul says, who, who is it that's hindered you? Who is it that's beating you back? Who is it that's causing you to not follow after the truth? That you should not obey the truth. And by the way, this word hinder is not only the word for beat back, but there's actually two Greek words. One of it means to beat back. The other one means to cut into. To impede. To detain. This is used in a couple of other places. Look in Romans 15. Romans 15. Verse 22. Paul said, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this word is used again in verse 18, where Paul writes to the Thessalonians, Wherefore we would have come to you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. So when Paul said that, who did hinder you? Not only were they stopped, but they were pushed back. They were pushed back. But he said in verse 8, this persuasion, that is, this belief of circumcision in order for salvation, cometh not of him that calleth you. In other words, this persuasion, this false doctrine, that's not what was preached to you at first. That's not what was preached to you at first. As we saw when we read there in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And then he says here, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. The idea that it's just a little sin. Or, well, you know, they may not have the full gospel, but uh, they're just off a little bit. 
Beloved, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You ladies know that it doesn't take much yeast to influence the whole loaf. Small little things seem to be overlooked and ignored unless checked and eliminated. And such small and little things will lead to great and enormous errors and often to great heresies. Leaven, the idea here, is doctrine. You know, what's, what's, just a little circumcision, it's not all that much. Well, it can lead to big things. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Picking up in verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye, little, o ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Do, you not, do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousands, thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? And neither the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Small, so-called doctrinal errors, unchecked, leads to big errors. Recently, was in a an online meeting with some ministers, and one of the ministers was from another country, and we were talking about some various doctrinal issues. And though the minister did not mention another minister's name, it was quite obvious to those of us who knew the situation, knew whom he was talking about. It's about a man that 
have been a well-known minister for many, many, many years among the denomination, but got caught and exposed for his sexual sins. And the minister was talking about some doctrinal errors that this minister had advocated for years and said, when you do not have the truth of the gospel and are not preaching the truth of holy living, it always leads to sin and downfall. And we live in a society where many, many, many men who profess to be ministers preach and teach in such a way that the lifestyle of many professing Christians look more like the world than they do of the teachings of Christ. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And when people can teach that people that have the sins that are listed in Romans 1 and other places likewise are just disobedient children of God as far as I'm concerned, it's a damnable heresy to refresh our memory. Let me read from Romans 1, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God. Is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now the word hold the truth in unrighteousness, the Greek word there for hold means to suppress. They hold down, in other words. It's not people that are believers. Now Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that Christ has redeemed us from the wrath of God. This is talking about the wrath of God on people that are living wicked lives. And let's see what kind of lives they live. And to say that these are children of God is blasphemous. Verse 19, because that which they, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. In other words, the deity of God is shown to them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no such thing as an atheist. There are people that profess to be atheists, but deep down, they know otherwise. So how can you be so sure? Because that's what that verse just said. And I believe God. I'll chase a rabbit here a minute. What is chance? Does chance have any 
power or ability. Now we use chant for talking about a law of probability. In other words, if I flip a coin up in the air, what are the chances are that it comes down heads or tails? 100%. Because it only has heads or tails. The chances of it coming down heads or tails is 100%. The overall chance that it comes down, well, I don't want to get off too much. But in other words, chance has no power. Chance has no ability. Chance is no thing. Chance, nothing makes up chance. I have a cup in my hand. This cup is a thing. It's made up of plastic. It holds water. Cup is a thing. Chance is nothing. It ha there's nothing. It there's no thing in chance. Therefore, chance is if it's no thing. If I say no thing real fast, what I'm what am I going to say? Nothing. So how can the universe come into existence by chance? It's nothing. Chance is no thing. And no thing cannot create anything. But verse 20 says, The invisible things of God are clearly seen so that His eternal power and Godhead are manifest and man is without excuse. Verse 20, 21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. See? Corruptible man, birds, four-footed beast, creeping things. Those are things. Chances, no thing. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to vile, unto vile affections. For even the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, back, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, of in, uh, uh, boasters inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit th such things are worthy of death. And not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Anyone that would say people like that live like that as a child of grace is a perverter of the gospel. Leaven. Leaven. False doctrine may start out to be small, even appearing to be insignificant, 
and nothing to be concerned about. But eventually it will grow into something big. Look at Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, 21. Well, let's read verse 20. Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. That yeast permeates the whole loaf. And little false doctrines will soon permeate and destroy the whole gospel if left unchecked. I've got <clears throat> far more on this point than time allows. And I'm going to stop right here and take up, Lord willing, the next time and say some more about the danger of Leaven, particularly a little leaven. Let's pray. Holy Father, sometimes the leaven is so small that we ourselves are, are unable to ascertain it. But when we do, give us wisdom in knowing how to stop it. To keep it from destroying the gospel of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.